What is up? Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. This week's guest is Jeremy Taggart. Jeremy has been mentioned on the pod a few times by other drummers in their top five in regards to his previous work with the band Our Lady Peace, which Jeremy joined when he was 17 and remained their drummer until 2014. He's also a fellow podcaster with his show Taggart and Torrance, plus he's an author, all that jazz, very busy man. Jeremy and my mutual friend and friend of the podcast, Mike Robinson of Blame My Youth, K Flay, and Oliver Tree, sums up Jeremy's playing in a great way. Quote, Jeremy's drumming just seems so conversational and almost stream of consciousness, but at the same time, it's so deliberate. I mean, that's the goal of everyone, right? We also get into his friendship with Elvin Jones, and it'll make you love Elvin even more. All in all, Jeremy has an infectious laugh and youthful playfulness throughout this whole conversation, and I loved it. So please enjoy my chat with Jeremy Taggart about the five records that shaped him into the player he is today. Cheers. When I sent you the kind of form to fill out, you sent it back to me pretty quickly. So first of all, thank you. Second of all, what was your plan of attack when I asked you to, you know, compartmentalize these five for yourself? I think it's best to just look at it as a, I guess, a Polaroid in what I think at the moment. I think it's it was best to to answer early and quickly to just like, <laughs> I got to decide quickly. This is, I understand the cir- the circumstance. It's desert island vibes here. I did a lot of thought in terms of, because I've already thought of all these guys so many times anyway. So they can change in the top five to the top 10 to the top 25 sometimes, you know how it is. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and yeah, we do have a bunch of honorable mentions that we're going to get to. So number one, the album is A Love Supreme. The release year is 1965. The artist is John Coltrane. And the song choice, again, I just had people choose a song to let the listeners hear the record. Um, but the song that you chose is Resolution. And the drummer is Elvin Jones. So before we play maybe a clip of it, Kind of talk about why this song meant so much to you. Um, well, I've always been a huge Elvin fan since my father told me. My father was a jazz drummer and told me about Elvin when before I even started to play drums. So I had respect for John Coltrane just as a listener of as a young kid hearing John Coltrane. My dad would crank it in the car whenever he would hear John, and I was like, it sounded so chaotic, like. Four yeah. wild dogs attacking each other. That's what it, the, the, the energy was like, you know. So as I got older, I started to really appreciate that chaos. And once I started to get to know Elvin Jones as a drummer, and then even more so as a person, I, you know, having him play on our uh, happiness record and getting to meet him and, and get to know him and having dinner at his house and just incredible experience incredible. with him and Keiko, his, his wife, who just recently passed away. I, I just, uh, you know, he was my idol and, he, you know, he just, uh, it, it really is the great idea of a legend because he was very sweet as a person and very kind and giving of his thoughts and time. But as a musician, what he did was really more so than any, maybe Jimi Hendrix, but like in terms of the way he played drums, even more so than Jimi Hendrix because it's just pure rhythm that he wielded. It was just more advanced and ahead of its time than any other musician that I can think of. The uh, speed that he could create in one time and just the rhythm that he could add and accentuate 
nobody was doing that at all. It was almost like he came from space, you know? <laughs> so it's easy to pick him always as the number one because, you know, if you listen to Resolution as a song, it's it's, it's a great example of the, the way he accentuates three over four rhythms to, to give speed and really a, a great platform for uh, John Coltrane to just rip over, you know, like it was so rhythmically out there yet so strong and, and it was really a heavy groove, you know? So when he played on Stealing Babies, a song, like he when he tracked the drum part, the, 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 the rhythm is such an Alvin groove that he played and I had to track drums on top of that groove. So I actually had to learn the part and I swear to God when it instantly finally clicked in my head the rhythm that that was going on i swear to god it's the biggest weapon that i have you know it's just <laughs> yeah in terms of the, what i learned of how he pushes and pulls and and uh but there's just this constant you know hard swing in the background but it's just like it, there's moving parts happening that's almost like you're a waiter with 50 different things going on, but like everything, yeah. he doesn't spill a drop, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, let's listen to resolution. And then I do want to investigate that a little more, that whole situation um, with stealing babies, but let's just listen to resolution and then we'll return.
Alvin would tell me these stories of them being on the road and literally like all they did was practice. They were just John Coltrane was like the equivalent, I guess, like Kobe Bryant styles where it's just like, yeah. get up and he's like had a reed in his mouth when they're driving in the car and practicing always. Uh, Elvin said all he would do was like he had a, a pocket full of quarters where he would call his wife at every stop and then he would back reeds back in the mouth. <laughs> and like they would all sleep with their instruments in their beds, like the bass and everything would like John Coltrane set this example of practice that they kind of had to keep up with because they they believed in what they were doing because I guess they were playing at such a level and he was like, That's, let's just keep on pushing it. I don't know how many times that's happened in music history when four of those musicians have gotten together, just the, the elements that, that they created. True ideas of what the idea of a master is, really. Like John Coltrane himself, like the de dedication it took to writing this record and the stories of him being up in the attic and locking himself there and, you know, his wife having to knock on the door with food. And, and when he did finally finish, he was like, I did it, I did it. And he had this adulation in his eyes and his wife said it's the accomplishment that he felt. For someone that's that intelligent and idea of genius to be so stoked about an album and then going in and accomplishing what he was thinking about it's almost like if you're like well i know that guy's smarter than me so if he's doing that then i'll do what he's doing yeah. like th this is truly a level of musicianship that's very difficult to get to you know you just have to appreciate it once in a while and all of these guys played music at that level all the time of their lives you know so um it's just uh the, you know, it's the ultimate number one right there, I guess. And to be that disciplined and that good at your craft, but then also to hear a story about how generous, generous Elvin was with his time, um, it's, it just makes you fall in love with him as an artist even more. Yeah, yeah. Especially, you know, like when you meet some super rock star that you always loved and they're a dick, you're like, oh, okay, you know, it's, it happens, you know, but Alvin was the complete opposite of that. And uh, yeah, couldn't say anything more great about him. Forks Drum Closet, Nashville's full line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instruments, Forks has something for every drummer. They offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street, Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37210. Or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. All the information I just said is at ForksDrumCloset.com. So yeah, let's 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 go down the rabbit hole of of stealing babies. How'd that happen? Can you tell the story of how that happened and then the experience overall? Well, um, it was through my dear friend Greg Keplinger, uh, the drum maker and, and drummer from Seattle, who everybody yes. that that's you know anybody. There's so many legendary drummers that know Greg and have spoken about Greg publicly and. Anyway, he, he's always been a really good friend since like 1994 or five. And uh, we would just chat on the phone and sit, you know, he was kind of like, uh, I guess, my mentor in the early days of, of, of OLP in a way, because I would call him so much. 
and he was always gracious enough to talk to me for hours and uh I was lucky enough to have him out on the road with us but I think it was when he teched for me or made a snare drum for me I spent some time a weekend in Seattle and I got to uh I think uh, Elvin was playing the Jazz Alley and that was the first time I met him I got him to sign a drum it's actually back there uh, there's a, a Keplinger 8-inch back there with a, a, a huge... I think he originally made it for Jack Irons, and uh, I was just lucky enough to to ask Greg at the time. So, yeah, I brought that drum, and he signed that for me, and I got to to meet him, and, and uh, I ended up just, I don't know, if calling Elvin or just kind of going and seeing him whenever I had the chance. Like, he would play uh, jazz festivals and... and Toronto and I would always go and hang out with him and uh in New York I went to his house a couple times for dinner with him and Keiko actually Matt Cameron came one one of those wow. times as well and just had a great night hearing him tell amazing stories very humorous uh, such a funny man and very intellectual like very smart and a, a lot of different things just knew so much about so many different things and uh really fun to talk to like just the type of person that you start just having a laugh right away, you know? So anyway, uh, I got to know him quite well to the point where we, you know, asked him to, to, to play on, on that record. And uh, he was nice enough to come in, and it literally was... Uh, originally, I think he played on a song called Waited as well, but it just it didn't work out. The groove wouldn't connect in the same way. I guess it changed the song too much, but uh, Stealing Babies... Um, initially was even called Alvin, like in the demo of, of it. But, uh, you know, he, he was in the studio and Keiko set up his kit and tuned everything perfectly and added out exactly how he likes it. And and I remember, like, sitting at his kit and, and you know, hitting the drums and there's, they were just so tight. I just could, I couldn't get a, a sound out of them at all. Like, I was like, I'd hit it and it would just die. And I'm like... Man, I don't know what the hell's going on here, but you know, and he sat down and go, uh... pop, pop, and everything would just be exploding, like it's just so loud and fantastic. And so, um, I was literally like with him, kind of giving him signposts to the arrangement of the song because he just kind of listened to it a couple times and then just got in there and started playing to to the click and the melody and the. He mentioned that he was, you know, he dug the melody and he was able to kind of play off it. So the groove that he ends up, you know, playing is just, you know, him feeling the track. And uh, it was uh, uh, nice enough, just amazing to 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 play along and, and just play on his track and learning the, the groove and just figuring it out. And it took me a long time to understand it. I'm like, when I first tried to play over it, I'm like, this sounds so so terrible i'm just gonna shit all over all this stuff but once i, I learned the signposts and of of the pattern it was just it became really fun it was like super exciting and there was stuff on the cutting room floor man then greg keplinger well he was there at the session as well and he'll tell you man that song was like eight minutes and it was just all this fucking incredible Elvin stuff. And we had to cut a lot of stuff. Like I literally myself had to try and figure, you know, a space to, to make things work. So I had to edit his drum parts as well. Me and Greg were like, leave it and just let, let it go and play to Elvin. But 
rock and roll pop it's the way it goes like i'm we're lucky that we got it as much as we did and we took it as far as we did because uh you know it you're dealing with columbia and new york at the end of the day <laughs> well do you mind if i play a little bit of this song for the for the listeners yeah go for it all right so i'm going to start at about 240 um, which is uh, kind of where that where that, so, yeah, that where the Elvin like, happens. This is where Elvin plays, and then I come in with him after a, a certain amount of time. <clears throat> yeah. Well, here we go. Stealing babies from uh, Our Lady Peace. Safely to her So just watching that, I mean, was it just like kind of the apex of, of the career to that point? Like I have this hero is now like I'm watching him play along to something that I was a, a genesis of years before, you know? And Well, I mean, just to just to be able to record with him um, and see him in the room just was uh, when it was happening. I'm like, this is the best thing that's ever happened in your whole career. And it's probably going to be the best thing when you're 80 as well. Like, it's not going to... Like, I knew at the time, seeing it and and just playing with him and, and getting to know him a little bit and having some laughs with him, and it just really kind of... Uh, 
I knew it the whole time that it was just a special thing. And it, uh, I couldn't believe it because I remember talking about him and, you know, hearing about how much my dad loved John Coltrane and just how everybody loves John Coltrane. Just to get to know him a little bit uh, was really absolutely the highlight for sure. And uh, no matter what I do from this point out, it could be massive things. It will still be the highlight for sure. That's awesome, man. That's incredible. You got to experience that. So I, that makes me so happy. Well, this drummer, if I the next drummer for number two, if I would have ever been able to go to the barn and play along with him in any capacity, that would have been my my Elvin experience because uh, I almost wore my my Levon hat today. Um, but the album is the band, which is the band's second record, and the release year is nineteen sixty nine. The artist is, of course, the band. People have heard me. I mean, we've had jokes about drinking games with how many times I bring up Mr. Helm on this show. I love him. Song choices, Cripple Creek. And uh, the drummers leave on Helm. So, yeah, take it away, and then we'll listen to up on Cripple Creek. Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I was uh, being Canadian, a, a huge fan of the band, and I'm, I'm happy to say their best member of that band was American in leave on Helm and the leader of that band. And... Uh, had everything to do with how amazing they were, I do believe. I actually met Garth Hudson one time. I got to interview him for a Canadian magazine, and he was just uh, in a similar way to Elvin, where I kind of called him a few times, and him and uh, Maude, his wife, they would be up at, to all hours and happy to chat. He would always talk about how uh, how important Levon was to the band. Like, don't let anyone ever tell you. He was the leader of the band and always will be. I mean, uh, I also interviewed the Hawk, Ronnie Hawkins, an American who moved to Canada for the rest of his life. He was adamant about how Levon was that band. He's like, I had no idea that first record when I heard it, but he's like, that was all Levon, like literally probably like moving their fingers on the guitar styles. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that involved with how 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 they played and how that stuff sounded and, and and everything about it the mystique the storytelling it's just you know he uh the way that that i i can't imagine being an interviewer and when he looked you in the eyes just leave on like there was so much strength there in the last waltz when he's telling a story it's like this is like one of those guys that you hear about like uh, some legend that tells these tales in bars or wherever you're walking, you know, this one of those types of people where you can't fake the, uh, well, not just the confidence, because the confidence is all bred on experience. Every ounce of his confidence is from what he's done and seen and lived, as opposed to a bunch of bullshit, you know. And he didn't even have time to argue with Robbie Robertson for taking all the credit for anything. That, that you know he's like i don't even i don't want to you know he wrote his book obviously and that explains it all there but uh i don't know probably the like if you're gonna try and be a cool person if you're a young band and you want to copy somebody do anything that he did and make decisions by what you thought he would say yes or no to and you'll probably do okay <laughs> i love that so here we go here's up on cripple creek Cold. The Lake Charles, Louisiana 
Dixie girl I once knew And she told me just to come on by If there's anything that she could do Up on Cripple Creek She sends me if I spring a leaf She mends me I don't have to speak And she defends me A drunkard's stream if I ever did see Levon plays with his voice and he's when he's the, the way the drums fit into everything it's just magical that's why it's like you know when anyone else is playing drums with with the band it was just like other than Richard Manuel of course you know for some reason he had the same vibes you know yeah um all right so again we could talk about Levon for years but let's just move on to number three the album is Quadrophania and the release year is 1973. The artist is The Who. The song choice is The Real Me. And the drummer is is Keith Moon. Well, um, this was, yeah, definitely the, the, the first record that I went out and bought as a musician. And uh, as a 14-year-old getting falling in love with the drums, I just uh, thought he was so interesting and I think it had more to do with how crazy he was. You know, the way that he plays drums with that reckless abandon, it's kind of a similar thing. Like, he kind of had to be that crazy for the drums to have yeah. so much energy, you know? <laughs> All right, well, here's some of that recklessness with uh, The Real Me.
Well, people, go listen to the whole song. It just keeps getting better yeah, and better. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. But, it's a great record, too. Like, if, uh, you know, when you're young and impressionable and, you know, it talks about the... It's kind of like the the angst of the teenage years. It's very emo, right? The, the whole yeah, the whole story of Quadrophenia. Yeah, that record's one of those ones where there's so many fills and so many drum parts that if you learn and you grow up playing that, those things will be they'll creep into your playing and you're 40 and you're like, oh yeah, oh, shit. I did, I never came up with one original idea. I've just been ripping off this record the whole time. For sure, definitely. Um, all right. Well, going back to the Seattle music scene, let's go to number four, which is the album Bad Motor Finger. Released here is 1991. The artist is Soundgarden. The song choice is Searching with My Good Eye Closed. And the drummers, you mentioned him before, um, a seemingly acquaintance of yours, perhaps, Matt Cameron. Yeah, man. I mean, Matt, Matt Cameron was kind of like uh, the first, I guess, the first hero of mine as a kid drummer, you know, because... Uh, I was 17 when when I started in OLP, you know, on the road and touring shortly thereafter. So the music that I was listening to in eight, eight like that was I, I loved Soundgarden. I thought they were just such an amazing band to get to, to meet them and get to, you know, kind of know after decades of popping in and saying hello here and there. And just he's always been such a gracious person and a nice guy. And, Another great example of, you know, when you really like a person's drumming style and they're amazing, it just really kind of helps and makes you kind of inspired and it it, it makes you uh, respect the person so much more when they're just such a sweetheart and you never hear him say bad things about anything or anybody, really. He's just a great, great guy. Yeah, no, I just I, I just really appreciated the way he he played and uh like the way that he poked holes in, in rhythms and added accents and would change the feel of a song just by the pattern, you know, like, for example, like the bridge of Spoon Man. I certainly stole a lot of shit from him for sure as a drummer and feels and stuff, you know, so like he's just kind of one of those guys you copy. He's not really somebody who play. He doesn't like I don't hear an, anyone in him other than Matt, you know, so I just uh, I'm sure a lot of the drummers that like him feel the same way. He just had his own, has his own sound that's very aggressive too. Like, fuck man, he plays with so much angst in a way. So mm -hmm. a great guy and, uh, and a great drummer, one of my favorites. All right, here we go.
like I, I think he played the demos of the Pearl Jam, the first uh, 10, like he played on those demos. Mm. So the, you can even hear the influence of Matt Cameron, even though he didn't play the drums on that record eventually. But the his imprint of his style is still inherent in those songs. And that's something to say, you know, just the way that he... Uh, I'm sure that it's like if he plays, like, because I was actually injured on a record where I couldn't play and Matt was in town and he played on two songs, Are You Sad and uh, another one on on, uh, Spiritual Machines. Anyway, the two songs he played on were awesome and uh, he did a great job. You know, again, you know, I had parts like uh, feels on there, but when he played over them i was like i just followed his roadmap you know because it was just some of the ideas were so great and when you play it certain fills in a song and they and it works it's like you gotta kind of stay that route you know you can't really change it if it kind of has a impact to the song you know you want to keep that energy so that's a kind of a good example of his playing it's just like he makes such an impact on the song itself you pull them out afterwards, like, "Hey, buddy, I'm trying to keep a gig here, okay? Don't uh, <laughs> yeah. ease no. up a bit." I think I'm okay with you being yeah, in yeah. Pearl Jam as he gets on his yeah, private yeah. plane. Yeah, <laughs> the like, hovered, hey, hovered jet comes down, picks him up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So number five, and then I do want to get to these um, these honorable mentions. So number five uh, albums: Joe's Garage. The release year is 1979. The artist is Frank Zappa. The song choice is Token of My Extreme. And the drummer is Vinnie Caliuta. So, yeah, take it away. Again, another early, uh, one of the first records I bought. And because I was, a you know, a, a drummer at that same a- age, like I loved Keith Moon. And then I started studying with a guy named Rick Gratton. And another guy named, well, two guys, Paul DeLong and then also Vito Retza. And Vito Retza was friends with uh, Vinnie Caliuta. And I think that, you know, just hearing about him, and then I started delving into his drumming and the stuff that he was playing on. And just the the, uh, the drums in this song are ridiculous. Like, the, the, he studied with... Uh, Gary Chafee, who was like the odd note groupings guy, right? So mm-hmm. um, it's a good example of, you know, the shit that he was probably working on with, with Gary Chafee that you start working on some of these odd note groupings and it really opens your mind to to what you can do uh, on a drum kit. And, you know, this record token of my extreme was like one of those ones. I was like, what the hell's going on? And at the time I had uh, Paul DeLong, uh, my drum teacher, I got him to transcribe it. And I learned, so I learned that beat, you know, and I was, I don't know, like 15 years old, but I was like, man, this was like such a cool, like once you get the, 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 the groupings and the, the exchange of the right and the left hand with the foot and stuff just really opens your mind to, to, to what you can do as a drummer for sure. All right. I'm actually not familiar with the song, so I'm hearing okay. this for the first time. <laughs> so so I'm, like, I'm really excited. <laughs> I'll have see. no idea what the hell's going on. <laughs> yeah, it's way out there. <laughs> okay, here you go. A token of my extreme. Welcome to the first church of a white apology. The white zone is for loading and unloading only. Jupiter O'Brien. It's just a token of my extreme. Don't you be terrified. It's just a token. 
Again, bass player going crazy. <laughs> so I, that's the gist of the song, basically. But that kind of hi-hat stuff that, that really kind of opened my ears and just in a way to, to another kind of avenue that helped me as a drummer just to kind of visualize different ways or affect rhythm different ways in 4-4 four, four beats, you know, just trying to change stuff up. It helps to hint at higher tempos or triplets or whatever in those things, so... Yeah, Vinny was one of those guys where I was like, always, whatever he was doing when he was playing with Sting or all the uh, fusion or jazz artists that he was playing with, was just always incredible to watch him play. All right, so your, let's see, four uh, honorable mentions. And so um, let's just, uh, let's get through these. Melting Pot, uh, Booker T, and the MGs. So let's just actually just play a little bit of this and then we will, and then we'll talk about it. Here we go. Right away. Yeah. The feel. <laughs> that dude could just snap quarter notes <laughs> and he'd make it feel good. Yeah. And this is the record where they were like, let's just jam and really get into it, right? So they're really cooking. This is a great like record to put on if you want to just like chill out and enjoy music. Yeah. You know, go in the backyard, sit down. Just forget about everything. Yeah. Uh, where were you when this record came into your life? Uh, I think it was like, I think it was probably early, maybe two, 2005 or six when I started just listening further back as opposed to everything that was out now <laughs> yeah it's kind of my vibe right now yeah so i was just go you know and i think i was just really appreciative of al jackson as a drummer period and uh everything that they did um when they do the abbey road the mclemore avenue record like that's just the level that they're playing at they're having such a good time. The music is so fun. It affects, it affects your mood, you know? So mm-hmm. I try to, I try to find a, as much live in a room performance music as I can, because you feed off that energy, you know, it's, it doesn't lie. Absolutely. All right. So the next one is Gord's Gold uh, by Gordon Lightfoot. <laughs> and the song is Sundown. And it's one of my favorite, uh, the best there is, Jim Gordon. Yeah, man, Jim Gordon. I mean, I uh, there was about five years where I wouldn't shut up about Jim Gordon. People were probably like, "Just don't, don't tell me. I don't, I don't want to hear it, man." Because I'd be like, you know, he played it. You know, who played on this. 
Who's like calling it's Jeremy F? Fuck. Yeah. What do you play on today, Jeremy? <laughs> no, I'm, I, I ask anybody in OLP, they'll tell you that. They probably still think that's all I want to talk about is Jim Gordon. But I went into a Jim Gordon hole for about five years. And I think it's because he played on so many different styles of music. And every single one of them is like top notch and just such a yeah. high level. Every style that he plays. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, and again, not, not because of what happened with him and, and the situation, how horrifying it is. You just he kind of was erased from everybody's memory. But uh, I don't think there's anybody any more recorded than him in terms of hit songs, like real hit songs across the board. Like you can say that I'm sure J.R. Robinson and uh, Hal Blaine and all these legendary recording drummers, but Jim Gordon seems to come up more than everybody in. Oh, that song? Oh, I know. <laughs> you know, where it's like signature songs of artists. You know what I mean? Like Sundown is a great example. Again, he's, uh, I think he was probably like that world of Gary Chafee and Jim Keltner and Jim Gordon was, was right there and had, was kind of like, I guess, a guru in a way, just because he was such a talented drummer that he kind of seeped into everything, you know. It's the, the odd no grouping shit is going on. Like he does a couple in the, in the guitar solo here and then a couple at the end where it's like, oh, it's like those Vinny, like, like with the double stroke with the left hand and five note strokes or whatever, like just closing up the hats and just underneath. So uh, you could tell that the guy had a real wealth to pick from and he was just kind of chill but you, you there was a lot of skill going on that you know i'm sure he could have ripped the shit out of the drums like crazy just like jeff Picaro styles you know so yeah sundown's a good jam Instead of going with the crashes, the floor toms on the ones in the choruses. I wonder, I'm sure someone has to know somewhere, but like, I wonder what happened to his Camco kit, that like brown one. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Jim Keltner might know. I, yeah, you're right. Yeah, he had that half broken ride cymbal too that had like a, such a sound and all those records. And same with like Bell Bottom Blues where he turns the beat around. Like you, you got to be pretty baller to play that for it to have that weight. Like, I, you know, it's one of those songs like you try and play that. It's going to sound like shit most of the time. <laughs> I wonder if actually I wonder if Gord gave gave him a look like 
hey, like, forget with the floor toms. And that's why I didn't do it in the second chorus. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he probably gave yeah. him a look like, what's that? What's that about? <laughs> All right, let's just go to one more. Let's go to, hmm. You know, we haven't talked about Carlton Barrett enough. So let's just go to Exodus sure. um, by Bob Marley and the Wailers. And it's Carlton Barrett on the drums. So, yeah, talk a little bit about why this made your last one. And then uh, and then I'll let you do some self-promotion. And then I'll let you get on your sure. way. Um, I just think uh, there's not much to say other than the musicality that Carlton Barrett had. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the way that he played, plays a groove, the, the life force that he gives it. All those records, the, the, the fact that they're always completely live and it's just there's so much energy there's so much skill there's there's a lot of playing like not overplaying but a lot of shit going on like it's kind of busy but like you never notice because it's so locked the the strength the strength of you know exodus as a as a song and just how long it is and it sounds like it it could be three days and it's still gonna be like you're still gonna be enamored with that groove, it, it's again, it's the it's the kind of music that just like instantly makes me feel better, you know, and uh, so strong. Like, how many times have you heard that hi hat pattern and been like, dude, stop, dude, stop doing that? <laughs> but it's it's perfect here. It doesn't sound busy. It's amazing. <laughs> exactly what you mean. <laughs> Dude, just stop that. <laughs> like most of the time it wrecks the beat. Yeah. Whereas this, it's like I, this, it's almost like uh, the stairway to heaven in the guitar center. Sir, did you not see the sign? I'm sorry. listen to that groove forever and i will probably after we're done so (laughs) it's so good well well jeremy um do a little bit of self-promotion i mean what i know you you got a book podcast all that stuff so like what maybe talk a little bit about where people can find more jeremy uh well i mean i'm uh taggart and torrens is the podcast that i do with jonathan torrens who you might know from trailer park boys (laughs) it's j-rock the uh rapper (laughs) He's also on, awesome. on Ladder Kenny as well, but uh, he's a great guy, and we have a, a really fun time on our weekly podcast that you can get anywhere. But our website is Taggart and Torrens, T O R R E N S, and there's an N, Taggart and Torrens.ca, so Canada. I'm uh, at Taggart7 on Twitter and Taggart, T A G G A R7 on Instagram, and uh, 
We yeah, we we had a book with the podcast called Canadianity that's uh, available everywhere and also on Audible. We do, you know, hopefully be doing some shows. We put out a, an album uh during the pandemic, which is, you know, how that was. <laughs> Putting an yeah. album out is basically just like falling through the cracks in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> you know so like yeah oh that's know, cute well i mean yeah exactly so um we'll hopefully be back out on the road soon with with the podcast but yeah i play drums every day and uh i do sessions and i, I play with with people here and there I, I did some stuff with tara lightfoot earlier this year and um i'm always kind of keeping up on teaching and, and mentoring artists as well so it's uh it's 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 good times. It's busy, but uh, it's good. I love it. Hell yeah, dude. Mm. Well, keep it up, man. Um, hopefully, when when I'm in your neck of the woods, we can we can grab a drink or coffee or something. But um, incredible drumming. I went down your rabbit hole highly the last few days, and um, it's incredible, dude. You're such a fun drummer to listen to, and su- such a fun drummer to play along with, which is another another level for me. Awesome. That's amazing. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. I really enjoy the pod and uh, I look forward to, to listening to more. And that's the show. If you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show so it'll get bigger and better and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'll be an OG listener that can brag to all your friends. Anyways, why don't you go and check us out at BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on all the socials. Just search for Big Fat Snare Drum and you will find us. The show is edited in part using Isotope RX Audio Editor. It's amazing. So go check that out at Isotope.com. And thanks again to Gunnar Olsen for the theme music. Bye.